I'm actually I'm actually sitting here trying to think of another game that did it. And I keep thinking like, oh yeah, there was a game that had nudity, but it was only the top nudity. There was Mystic Defender and also Stormlord, but no butts. Sega, you you really Sega nobody at Sega is an ass man, apparently. Welcome, Mega Faithful Congregation, to this, the first real reading from the Book of Mega Drive. Today's reading will be Langrisser 2, or however you pronounce that fake JRPG French-German hybrid word. With me today are... Not Bob. Uh, hi, I'm Ramona. Always the subunit, but never the command unit. And I am Talpa. My character design is not by someone involved in pornography. And I, as always, am Automatic Tiger. Langrisser 2 is one of the surprisingly numerous tactical RPGs on the Sega Genesis, or Mega Drive, as you may call it. There have been... It's the sequel to, well, Langrisser 1, which was released in the United States under the title of War Song. Uh, they did, decided to not release the sequel here in any capacity that I am aware of. And uh, this version is mostly notable for a remake that never really made it to the Genesis that added alternate paths and stuff. But this game is really interesting in and of itself. How long did uh, all of us here play it? Alright, so I actually ran through uh, the entire game, and then I actually had... We'll get into this later, but for reasons, I had started a, a second file, and I played that a little bit, so I'm like, I played the game in a third over. I made it past the halfway mark after having to reset a couple of times, uh, so I'm currently at Scenario 14, also having finished the first hidden area, which I will be spending a lot of time talking about. And I played for only an hour, and I have only gotten through one mission, because I am a failure. But I am playing it right now, so you will get live, hot-off-the-presses commentary about how you should not play Tactics RPGs while drinking. <laughs> Fantastic. And I played this for about three hours and got through two missions which I enjoyed a lot. And so we shall begin with The Blast Zone. Here in The Blast Zone we talk about gameplay, what we thought about the gameplay, how the game felt to play, what cool mechanics there were, you know, just general stuff that's involved that's possible thanks to the wondrous blast processing of Sega. So, uh, I, I liked this game a lot, even if I only played it a little bit. Uh, I thought the basic mechanical conceit of having both the um, Fire Emblem-style main hero units and all of the smaller units, because you also get like individual mercenaries that don't level up, was really cool. But um, those mercenary stats are based on your stats. You see, every character in the game has an aura 
and all of the hero characters anyway have an aura. And the aura gives a stat bonus to all of the troops based on whatever the hero's stat is, which means positioning in this game is a lot more involved than it is in the average Fire Emblem game, which is the game this is most resemble this game re most resembles. And uh, and I found that uh, really compelling. Just all of the different stuff that all of the different factors that this game had compared to a lot of other tactics RPG from the era and even still today. Yeah, one of the things I've found pretty interesting from what little I've played is that this game as a tactics RPG actually has you caring about like areas of influence and zoning and uh, concepts like that which are pretty foreign to something like uh, a Fire Emblem, let's say. I mean, some of those elements do appear in other games like but I feel like this has a much greater focus on having zones of control. Yeah, this game ruled. And it's great because our last episode, we played Exosquad, which was a terrible game. But this time we're playing Langrisser 2, which is an awesome game. And just some really neat things, uh, as you both have already said, is the stuff involving the uh, commander influence, which is, now that I was thinking about it, it is kind of similar to the way like unit adjacency worked in uh, Military Madness but with a little more uh, a little more forgiveness associated with it, a little more room that was, that's a neat feature also this game is um, incredibly challenging but it's not like super difficult like say Advance Wars which is like ludicrously difficult fight me nerds I, I do find Advanced Wars ludicrously difficult. So kind of my point of view is, is I don't, I'm not really big into strategy or tactical RPGs, what have you. Like, probably the most I've played is, I've probably played like an hour of uh, Shine Force in the past. And that's kind of like the entirety of my experience. And so I, you know, and like, once I was playing Langrisser and I started wrapping my head around some of the mechanics i'm just like so this is basically strategy tactics version of dynasty warriors where you know except you're, you're instead of you being just one general on the ground and running around and basically because dynasty warriors isn't really a beat em up it's more of a it's more of a you're 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 a running errands simulator where you're basically just running around the map and making sure shit keeps running um this is kind of like that where you, you could use the command. You use the commander units to basically keep things together, and then everything is sort of, you know. I felt the, your your other troops were kind of uh, ancillary towards achieving your goals. They they felt really disposable. You, they're not really disposable. They're actually really strong once you wrap your head around the the sphere of influence stuff. But you were just like, if you did stuff right and you wiped every unit off off a map in a scenario and you grinded experience, you're commander units become hilariously strong and they just run around and generally own the own the entire map yeah yeah uh that's that's definitely uh i i see where you're coming from with the comparison to uh dynasty warriors where you have like one central unit that is uh extremely powerful and uh uh mostly like channels map control and stuff and the rest of them are more like perfunctory and you're not actively thinking about them all the time and you're not especially worried about them uh, necessarily dying in the moment but you probably should be 
Uh, one thing I found uh, as a drawback in this game, and this is likely because uh, we're playing a translated game that doesn't have a uh, translated manual, I found some of the control concepts in this game uh, obscure, despite, uh, you know, it being a Fire Emblem-like tactics RPG. Uh, one of the things that's different about this game is that uh, uh, you can give, uh, you can have your uh, unit commanders giving orders, and these orders will provide a rudimentary AI for all of the subunits uh, and how they should act. So, for instance, if I ordered uh, a commander, if I had a commander order a move action, then everyone else will move into the zone of, uh, into uh, the aura of the commander. A really like straightforward stuff like that that uh, I wish the game actually explained or uh, without having me experiment. It's interesting because that's very similar to how it works in a lot of JRPGs from this period, where you could have uh, where you could set characters to auto control. But I've never seen this in a tactics RPG. Yeah, and I also um, kind of appreciated the like risk and reward system that the game has in place. Uh, in that if you take out an enemy command unit, you'll also take out all of their subunits, uh, which will make the battles easier and go by quicker, but also you miss out on all the experience you would get from defeating the subunits. So there's like that, you, you got to weigh your decisions when, when you're in combat. Like, uh, you know, if you're, if you're getting your ass kicked, you probably want to go through kind of quickly, but also, you do want to take your time. Also, because some of the battles have a time limit, you do have to really weigh that uh, from time to time as well. And that's something I appreciate. So it's not just uh, the same battle over and over again of just going out on a grid and, and fighting over and over again for 26 levels. Uh, yeah. one, th one thing I would love to hear about from the people who have played a lot more, I understand this game has uh, multiple routes and uh, like uh, a strongly branching storyline and lots of secrets and stuff, so I really want to hear about those things. This version does not have the branching storyline. That is the remake called Der Langrisser that was released on a few consoles after this. Oh, okay. But it does have secret levels. Yeah, and I did mess around with the uh, Super Famicom version, just a few levels with that. And I will say, and I'm not just saying this because I am a huge diehard Sega fanatic, but uh, it is actually worse than the Mega Drive version in every way, except for the multiple endings. Like, it looks worse, sounds worse, and uh, there's a ton of frame rate issues, and the game slows down to a crawl. Uh, during the battle sequences, and when you've got like 30 units on screen that are constantly fighting one another, battles take a long time. Also, it does something that the it doesn't have to do something that the Mega Drive version does, and that's let you mix and match uh, subunit types. You can only have one type of unit per um, command unit in the uh, SNES version, whereas uh, here in the Mega Drive, you can have different types of units to uh, to counter the enemy, so you could exploit enemy weaknesses a lot easier. Oh, that does remind me of an important point. You you kind of equip and uh, buy particular units at the beginning of every mission, and what mu units you can buy depends on the hero. So not every hero can use every type of unit. Yeah. 
Um, so I've not played enough of this game to know about the secrets, and I'm interested in like how those are accessed and uh, uh, very, very esoterically, if that is a word. Um, it is literally stepping on a random tile completely out of the way uh, on the map. Like, where there would not be any enemies or anything like that. It's how you find... Uh, just for example, um, you could get an item if you have one of your flying units land on a very specific tile that no other character can reach. But there's no on-screen indication that there would actually be anything there. It's just the floor. So those are just like Easter eggs, I guess? Uh, sort of, but the Easter eggs in this instance are like equipment that's actually useful. Also, like the actual secret levels to uh, get access to, you have to do that uh, same process as well. You probably would not be able to know about it unless you either looked it up online like I did, or you were just bored and decided to take like a hundred turns moving every single unit onto every single tile. Ah, it's actually kind of a shame that it doesn't give you any indication that there's anything there because there's so many factors going on with like risk reward in this game. I feel like if it gave you an idea of where those areas were, or at least some of the areas were, it would still give you some like tricky tactical decision making. So um, one other feature about the combat that's important is that it uses a sort of rock, paper, scissors system, much like Fire Emblem does. Uh, where each different units will actually be stronger or weaker against other type of unit, other types of units, which uh, is always a welcome addition to a strategy game. Oh yeah, and uh, that definitely comes into play uh, fairly quickly because you get because the enemies get new unit types and they will hurt you very, very badly if you go in unprepared. I, I spent a lot of time hitting the reset button just to make sure I had the right units and my commanders were in the right position when I started the battle. So yeah, um, I didn't get too far, but I noticed that there were some more interesting units besides just like sword sword people in this. Was there anything that you could do? Like, were they are the flying units just flying, or can like uh, I think it was harpies? Was it? Can they do anything else besides just fly, or is flying their like main shtick? And like, what other what other kinds of units are in this game? Uh, so you got like your infantry unit, which are just like soldiers. Um, that's like your standard unit. They're fairly inexpensive. Uh, you get guards, which are weaker versions of soldiers, but they use blunt weapons, which. Uh, work very well if you're taking on uh, slime enemies, which you do in a couple of battles. Uh, then you can eventually get pikemen who use spears, and they're good against cavalry units who are on horseback, uh, which are good against soldiers. Um, then you can get elves, which uh, are a long-range unit. They use bow and arrow. They do a lot of damage from a distance, but if you close the gap and you go after them, you can kill them pretty much instantly. Uh, but then it goes to, like, flying units with the harpies. Um, you can do mermen. You can have, you know, and then there's stuff like berserkers, uh, phalaxes, just upgraded versions of previous ones. But my favorite unit is one of the commanders is named Wester, and his class is Crocodile Knight, which instead of riding on horseback, 
he rides on the back of an alligator and uses his spear to take out enemies, and it's very, very funny. That rules. That's right. I, I did notice, even in the first two missions I played to, uh, there were a lot of permutations to the missions. Like, the first mission was a surprisingly not-pain-in-the-ass escort mission, and the second one was an was a also sort of a less-pain-in-the-ass escort mission. Um, although... The second one had, like, an ambush you needed to worry about out of nowhere and factors like that. Do the missions keep having twists on them? Are there any especially interesting twists that you encountered, uh, Bob and Ramona? Uh, I guess really, the only, so most of the missions are either wipe everything out, kill this, kill this one specific enemy commander, or uh, there are a few where it's like, you can either, every mission basically is like, you can either wipe everything out or there's a secondary objective and most of the time that secondary objective is like either there's a time there's a turn limit on the on the scenario or there's a uh you have to get a unit to a certain point on the map like one where you're actually getting land grisser it's like you have to you're actually racing uh enemy uh enemy uh units to get to to get it and like one of three your heroes can do it and or there's another mission where you're you're basically assaulting a castle and you can either wipe everyone out or if you're like me and you're hilariously underleveled and you didn't know that you're hilariously underleveled until you like read a fact at the end of the game and finding out that you probably should have have like another 10 or 15 levels on everyone um build a build a wall of a literal wall of meat and then rush the one the one important hero up up the whole map and hope to god everything works that that's really cool though. Like uh, I can't remember anything in Fire Emblem, like in in the Fire Emblem games I've played, it where you could just build a whole wall of protective dudes and then have your characters rush through that. That's really neat and gets to what's really cool about the positioning in this game. So I, I don't know if you talked extensively on it, but if you start noticing that, so your units can basically move through any of your, any of your other units but they can't move through enemy units. And so you can actually, depending on the, on the terrain or the, the features, or it's like, you know, if it's a hallway or something, you can build, you basically build like a flannix or a shield wall or just put up a, a row of, you know, like horsemen or, or soldiers. And you can build effective walls and just, you know, you can either do these like, so you can like war of attrition style of tactics are completely completely valid because you can build around those you don't it doesn't necessarily always a rush down or you're 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 plotting to like get just the perfect attack on enemy commander to wipe them out in one in one go also another good thing is the magic in the game uh once you have characters that learn the sleep spell uh you can use that to pretty much break the game by putting an entire squadron to sleep and having your characters rush them because they cannot defend themselves at all. That's great. I was about to say, so like sleep's broken. Uh, I had fun with the illusion spell where it's like, so you, you basically summon doppelgangers that can take one hit, but they count as physical units on the map. So uh, one of the things you can do is if you put, so basically if you, if you surround any unit uh, in the four cardinal directions, uh, left, right, up, down, uh, they can't move. They have to go. They have to go through whatever whatever units are around them. And 
on that turn. They have to attack one of the units on that turn if they want to move on the next turn. So you can if you could use solutions and you could just trap them while you're you're getting the rest of your group ready for the attack, or you could just just flood the area and be an asshole about it. That's fantastic. I really like hearing about this because even with just the the limited portion of the mechanics I played with, it really felt like positioning and controlling space on the board is is so important and i really like hearing that they add later permutations that let you control that space even more oh yeah yeah you definitely got you, you gotta find the nice middle ground between being too defensive or being too aggressive because uh, if you're too aggressive then you just get straight up murdered, but if you're too defensive, then you might find yourself in a position that you don't want to be in. So it's like, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like you're playing like a fighting game in that you have to uh, bait your opponent. You got to move them to a certain spot where you want them to be. So like, just for example, I want to move some enemy units that uh, are strong against like the closest unit I have, what I'll do is maybe I'll try and lure them a bit further back and then just rain some arrows down on them or um, put them next to Hein, who's like the de facto magic user, and have him put everyone to sleep and then counterattack from there. That's that's just fantastic. I just I just love all the options that this game gives you. Like, it feels so lively in that regard as a tactics rpg like it's not just you know oh getting particular spells or whatever those spells have actual like feel like they have physical impact on things and and not just like oh they deal a little damage or have a stat buff or something i mean there are stat buffs too which um work really well in conjunction with like sleep or with uh, fireball which will um, do damage to an entire enemy squadron uh, that's always fun to do like if you have too many ranged units you can cast that and that'll that'll uh, that'll help make up the numbers but yeah but I, I just mean those are se- seasoning on top of some more interesting stuff going on than just that although area effect attack spells are still cool to see in a game like this oh yeah for sure oh yeah the fireball is awesome because you start getting or you you get it and then so i didn't realize actually how good it was until i got there's a mission i think kind of like uh i think this is like 17 or 18 scenario 17 or 18 you start out and you're basically funneled through a hallway and on either side there's like an elevated there's like elevated portions of the map with enemy commanders and they have tons of uh ballista hanging out and you don't actually have to push you don't have to try to push through that and then go into the go into the side ramparts and try to kill them you can just stay back and fireball them to death or if you have thunder thunder is even more hilarious since it doesn't target an area it targets just an enemy group yeah, so one of the things I think this game provides compared to Fire Emblem, which is the closest it is in design, uh, is a sense of like actually being able to do the things that you think, oh, I should be able to do this in a strategy RPG. Like if I have these units with like these spells, I should be able to do this strategy. And those things seem to typically be at least a little viable. 
Whereas uh, Fire Emblem is a very straightforward, like, uh, unit basher, where uh, you're just, like, throwing a unit versus another unit and hoping for the best with, like, some rock, paper, shotgun stuff in the background. Like, there's, there's, the map is almost secondary to what you do when playing. Uh, Yeah, but even in the first two missions, the map felt really... No, no, I mean the map is secondary in a Fire Emblem type of game. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying one thing I liked about this was even in the first two missions, the maps were designed with, like, choke points and stuff to worry about geographically that you have to think about. Like, you can't not think about them. It's not just a big field where everybody moves around. It's There's actual spaces that you're in and you have to think about. There's walls. There's ledges. Um... And since so much of this game is about positioning, those choke points matter way more than in a lot of comparable games. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it, it's very much focused on the whole uh, concept of, of tactical fighting, because unlike um, a lot of other similar games, there's no like break. Like, there's no in between cutscenes or like a town to explore or anything like that. You just go straight from battle to battle. So that's like, so it's very clear that this is the focus of what you're doing here. Was there, go on Talpa. Oh, I I was just breathing. Sorry. Oh, cool. I Um... breathe too loudly sometimes. (laughs) It's fine. Um, Was the, were there any, so what were the secret missions like? I know there was at least one secret mission that looked very entertaining to me, and I want to know if it's uh, if it was interesting for any reasons other than just the aesthetics of it. Like, maybe tell us a little bit about that secret mission, Ramona. Okay. So, in scenario 12, I, I, I will... I'll give some some pro tips here so people listening at home can find it. In scenario 12, there are four statues, two on the very left and two on the very right. You want to have Elwyn, who's the main character, go all the way to the left and go and and land directly next to the topmost statue on the left, in the middle of the map. It's it's a little confusing, but when you actually play a level, you'll know what I mean. And when you do, Elwyn will say, huh, what is this? The Temple of Muscle? And then when you finish the scenario, you are presented with a question, a yes or no answer. Do you want to go to the Temple of Muscle? And that is the first hidden level, which is a crossover with another Messiah series, Sho Anaki. And in this mission, you fight uh, Samson, Adon, and like the other Sho Anaki characters who are the the one time in the game where you actually fight a bodybuilder class enemy and they are incredibly powerful. But if you, like I said earlier, if you rely on the sleep spell, they're actually fairly easy to take out. Um, But you know, it's very much a big goofy fight with uh, incredibly homoerotic undertones. There's a lot of talk about posing and bodybuilding and uh, they're charging up an attack called the Man Beam, which um, 
spoilers will just cause them all to explode at the end, uh, causing you to win the battle. And hold on, let me check the dialogue here real quick. Uh, hold on. Okay, and then one of the characters says, their blood vessels must have burst after posing for such a long time. So, so for, because this is a little bit more obscure than, say, Fire Emblem, what is Cho Aniki? Ah, Cho Aniki uh, is a shooter, an STG series, uh, known for having very, very homoerotic imagery. Uh, The main characters are uh, incredibly uh, greased up bodybuilders, and there's a lot of phallic imagery associated with it. Um, you know, the soundtrack is like uh, like 90s softcore porn on Cinemax sounding stuff with a lot of moaning going on. Um, they're not especially great games. They're incredibly campy, but uh, that's why you're playing them. You're not, you're, they're not on the level of like, you know, Gradius or something. But yes, and yeah, I, I liked seeing that there was a secret level built on them because I, I, I just... I love the aesthetics of, of Choniki because I, I really love cheese ball stuff. And those games also just seem to be having a fun time with what they're doing a lot, which is something I appreciate about them. Now, I know that they do reappear in the other games. haven't played them yet, so I can't say specifically when they are. But they do show up in all of the other games, including the most recent release of Langris or Mobile on iPhone. So those of you out there with an iPhone, you can download Langrisser Mobile, which includes like a digest version of all the levels from Langrisser 2 as well. Um, but you can, uh, the free-to-play gotcha mechanics do include the, uh, the Choanaki bodybuilders. Presumably that'll also be, this is a wild guess, but uh, if we ever get the uh, a English translation of the port of Langrisser 1 and 2 for Switch. I hope those those guys make it over. Uh, one, one can only hope so. Otherwise, I will be, uh, I will be penning a very angry letter to uh, my favorite YouTube channel, Censored Gaming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've seen the art in that port. I don't... They, they can... Japan can keep that. They got a... I think there was some, like, DLC, some pre-order DLC that keeps the art the same. And you know what? Speaking of art, I think we have been blasted. Oh, wait. I have one more thing. Because, you know, I made a a terrible joke about, like, potential censorship of, like, men. And I remember there was that one Final Fantasy game where they actually did do that, where they covered up the male character. I'm sorry, that, that has nothing to do with the podcast. I'm still just really angry about that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally fair. Yeah, but... I'd be angry about that too. What was that? Oh, yeah. They didn't cover a Vagrant story, at least. Oh, thank God for that. Maybe maybe when the Final Fantasy VII remake is done, they can uh, get to work on um, Vagrant story for PlayStation 5. I want to see Ashley Riot's gigantic ass in high definition 4k we're not gonna get it because what vagrant story because square enix are run by cowards yes i know (laughs) what vagrant story was too good for this world in the first place and it's even more too good for this world now that very good genesis game vagrant story so cool 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 that 
that I think wraps us up for getting blasted in the blast zone. We really blasted through that one and definitely the higher clock speed of the Sega Genesis was really important to this turn-based strategy game. Then again, maybe it is. It probably calculated the turns faster, but we got a, we got I do a, just have to say oh. I had a blast. <laughs> I, I had a blast too. I'm sorry. This is why you can't have me on podcasts. This is why I like having you on podcasts. But anyway, we've gotten through the first zone, but we still got three more to go. And the next one up is the fantasy zone. So the fantasy zone, this this beautiful, gorgeous place, is where we talk about the sound, the uh, graphics, the the aesthetic of the game, and uh, how did people feel about that? Uh, the music's incredible. It has been difficult playing through the first mission again while sitting here because I'd rather just be listening to this great, great soundtrack. Agreed. The music is awesome, and I will say that I really enjoyed the graphics as well. Like, they're very simple. Like, they look better than they did in, um, Languister 1, where the units during battle sequences were very tiny. Here, they're larger. They're more of like a anime-style super-deformed uh, look. But it it's there's kind of a weird thing uh, with Mega Drive games. There's like this sort of uh, aesthetic that these games kind of have where it where they use their limited color palette to make something that's really striking visually. So even though a lot of the maps are like green and brown because of things like grass and dirt, it's still very eye-catching. It pops out to you. Like, they, there's only 64 colors, but they use all 64 of them very well. It's just something... It, it's kind of weird, and admittedly it's hard to explain, but I guess if you're like me and you kind of grew up with games like this, it's sort of a... It's a style you start to notice um, over time. Uh, the character portraits themselves are also very charming. Like... Uh, given that the character designer himself is uh, somewhat well-known uh, for connoisseurs of <laughs> 90s anime. and Yeah, I spent a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of time researching his work, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I believe Wikipedia titled him the Master of Breasts. We'll find out about him in the Labyrinth Zone. Let's just talk about what he did in the game. <laughs> yeah. This game, for uh, now. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, his his, his uh, character portraits in this game, uh, they're, they kind of uh, give a lot of personality to even, like, uh, uh, regular, like, subunit troops that don't really matter. But, like, you look at... Uh, these characters, and you have some sense of who they are, even if they don't eat, even if they don't have a name. Yeah, he drew some really sick character portraits. Also, if you end up looking at the full body uh, character designs, to answer everyone's question, <clears throat> yes, the female characters are horny looking, which is why I nicknamed this game uh, Horny Fire Emblem. Yeah, this truly is a case of Sega doing what Nintendo doesn't. Well, Nintendo didn't with recent Fire Emblem games. Oh, true, true, true. Maybe Fire, em maybe recent Fire Emblem games have learned from the Master of Breasts 
<laughs> yeah, like I could see Tharja from Awakening just fitting right at home into this game. Oh man, I ship it. Like, Bob, it... what are your thoughts, actually? Yeah. Good butts. Good butts. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say this is the game that introduced butts to the Genesis? I'm going to say no, but... <laughs> I have to imagine there was one somewhere in a cutscene or gameplay for um, Altered Beast, right? Or Golden Axe. Maybe. I'm actually, I'm actually sitting here trying to think of another game that did it, and I keep thinking, like, oh, yeah, there was a game that had nudity, but it was only the top nudity. There was Mystic Defender and also Stormlord, but no butts. Sega, you, you really... Sega. Nobody at Sega is an ass man, apparently. There are definite. Okay, I'm googling here. There are definitely butts in in Golden Axe. Oh, Golden man. Axe is Frazetta esque. If only I like Golden Axe more. <sighs> so, um, yeah. When the the one thing about the uh, graphics is, I kind of wish you saw them a little more frequently. Because um, you do just get typically very tiny character portraits. Very good-looking character portraits with very handsomely drawn faces of, of various uh, fantasy folk. But, it, you know, there's still, like, a postage stamp size size thing, even if it's a great postage stamp size of, like, the, um, of the very, you know, sultry gaze of a cool, blonde-haired guy who definitely isn't based on Char Aznable or anything. I mean, he's not wearing a mask. I don't see the resemblance at all. Yeah, I'd say he's more of a Quattro Vagina than a Char Aznable. Yeah, he is. He's definitely a Quattro Vagina. Does he defect, like, later and team up? Oh, yeah, actually, this is also the place for the story. So what did people who played through more of this think of, of the story, since that's, in theory, the the idea, the main thing behind uh, an RPG? Uh, it's, it's there. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't especially, like, it's not like Final Fantasy Tactics or anything, but what's there is fine. I mean, it's a group of people teaming up to take out an evil empire. And that's, you know, the best kind of video game plot, really. Uh, not being sarcastic, uh, down with the man. It's anime fantasy. It's there. Yeah, and, and very specifically, like, 90s anime fantasy, too. So it's more, like, a lot of it looks a lot more like this is just one point of comparison, like, say, a record of Lotus, Lotus War rather than um, something MMO-y like you'd get today. Oh, and to answer your earlier question, Leon does not join you, but in the um, in the remake, which is called Der Languisser, uh, you can actually team up with Leon and join the Empire. That leads to the bad ending. Oh, the branching stories thing sounds so fun. I was reading about it on Wikipedia, but that doesn't really pertain to uh, to Landris or to. I wish they. I wish somebody would translate the Saturn version of this because Der Langrisser got a Saturn release, didn't it? Yes. I think that might be. I think that might be the definitive version of it for the most part. Oh, until the Switch port comes out in the U.S. It's come out in the U.S., right? Game developers, right? Game publishers. You, you know the the untold number of people in the industry who are listening to my voice right now you're bringing that over right it's coming over right you're bringing it cool great i'm glad we had this talk 
Yep, that's definitely happening. With that great new character art, great new character art. Go on. So, so there's there is they put a new character for the for Land Cruiser one and two, and so because they have that DLC with the with the art by the original artist, they have to do a portrait of her in the original style and. A, it doesn't match any of the other art because it has a lot of the aesthetic qualities you would identify with modern anime in terms of, you know, lines aren't as thick. Uh, there's a lot more softer shading. There's, it looks very airbrushy. Also, it just looks shitty. Yeah, it it looked very, very generic. Um, and I did I do think it's also interesting because it's one of the clearest examples of, like, 90s anime horny versus uh contemporary anime horny okay also so the so language one and two has a demo you can if you own a switch and you do not have a secondary account set up so you can jump on other eShops, you should do that so you can do things but you could go grab that and you can play it and so the, the games are voiced and also, every character sounds exactly how you would think they would sound if you watch anime in the year of our lore 2019, which is to say, kind of shake my head sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I actually did download that demo because I was like, what, what cool thing? Can I get any insight to this? And the interface is completely different, so I couldn't figure out much about it. I did notice that you could only get one t- kind of unit for each of the people um and just in general it the the visuals were muddier and and less appealing than the ones in here which are very bright and uh and can and look like tasty tasty 16-bit candy for the most part i'm talking about the trees not the people oh yeah yeah definitely i i do like all of the cool anime boys in this game though they're they're very good cool anime boys yeah big big fan of Hein. Just, you know, a little little nervous kid who casts magic. Well, not really a kid. He is an adult. But you know what I meant. Although one of the Shoanaki build bodybuilders calls him boy. And says, you gotta start doing push-ups and sit-ups so you can be like us. Of course. So what kind of environments can you see in the game? Because I saw, like, nice grassy fields and some cool castles. Does it just stick with that throughout the whole game? Or does it change up the aesthetic any as you move on? Mostly, yeah. Um, every now and again, you'll get like um, a level with like a lot more water to it because there will be water units like mermen or serpents. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's just like villages or castles or just like a field. It, it, nothing too major, really. I'd like to pay special attention to the intro. This game has two intros, and they both look really cool. The first intro is just like one of a vaguely ominous, the bad guy is getting a bad sword, and it looks like this cool, purpy, purple, evil, glowy thing, and he cackles about how he's going to take over the world with the sword and stuff. And the second one actually only boots up after you see the title screen for a moment. And it's like this really cool 16-bit kind of anime opening where the cast in much more detailed art flies through with exciting music and just sort of sort of really got me hyped up for the game. Oh, I, I missed the second one. I'm going to have to uh, look that up later and watch it. Yeah, I didn't see the second one at all. Oh, it looks super cool. I uh, I took some screenshots from it. 
Hi, people at home who can see the screenshots. Okay, while you fetch that, all I want to say is, if I wanted to see animated sequences, I would have bought a Turbo CD. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot, Dirt Langlister did show up on the PCFX as well. But the PCFX is actual, literal, literal detritus. It is garbage. It is worthless. It's it's just there. Yeah, but it had that one game that was like Resident Evil, but with anime girls in space. Dino and... Crisis? <laughs> I, I don't remember the title, so I'll say yes. I think you're thinking of the Xbox. You, it's a little bigger, a little blacker. Ah, uh, yes, the PCFX, known for being the a dedicated game console where like ninety percent of its library was like various hor- super horny dating sims. So the artist for uh, Landrisser should probably have made a bunch of PSF- PCFX games, right? I mean, I think objectively he did, but I don't know that off the top of my head. Uh, that's where I come in. I'm going to do some research real quick. We'll, we'll, uh, Tiger here looks up the screenshots. We'll use the editing of Magic to hide any uh, uh, long pause while uh, Ramona does her research. Nope, he only did uh, Languisher. So, uh, sorry everybody. You'll have to uh, get your horny dating sims from uh, less skilled artists. We'll have- yeah, we'll have to look into the Dojin market to find our erotic Landrisser remakes. <laughs> yeah, I put the one of the screen the screenshot I had of the opening in the uh, in the Mega Podcast chat. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people at home, this is like this is so good. You have no idea. It's like it's like looking inside Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. Uh, levels of good. It really is Marcellus Wallace's briefcase of uh, tactics RPG sprite art, of character art. Although, where is Sherry's big ass? I can't see that. Well, they could only get away with so much. So, uh, any other visual details that called out to anyone? Or audio details that called out to anyone? Uh, This is one of the first non-Final Fantasy one of the oldest non-Final Fantasy games I've played where you can customize the color of your menu. That's a very important feature that deserves its own like uh, uh, point of mention. Oh yeah, I forgot to do that. I was going to have a, a pink menu, but then I didn't do that. I gave mine like a nice, pleasant raspberry color menu. Oh, uh, there we go. I got it to pink. Oh, uh, that looks great. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Like, I, I wish there was more about the story, but really it is just the story of... There's two dudes with two swords, and then they fight, and then one guy beats the other one, and that's the story. Yeah, there's like you... a Demon King or something, from what yeah, I know. Yeah, okay, so it's I a will... 90s anime. I thought Demon King went without saying. Yeah, yeah I'll I'll explain the plot very quickly. Uh, okay, so there's a guy, and he wants to resurrect the King of Demons in in order First to do time that. That's ever happened. It yes, actually, the second time it has ever happened. Um. Actually, third, because there's a prequel. But in any event, in order to do that, you need two swords. One is the Languisher, which is the Sword of Light, and the other is the Alizard, which is the Sword of Darkness. And so Elwyn and a bunch of randos that he runs into, uh, because he's wandering the countryside looking for the person who murdered his martial arts teacher, uh, they are also fighting... Also the first time that has ever happened in any piece of media. Exactly. Uh, they are in a race against the Empire to get the swords because 
as the great philosopher of our time, Kanye West, once said, no one man should have all that power. <laughs> Except for Donald Trump. Kanye West wants Donald Trump to have all that power. Yeah. Uh... Pre- President Grandpa dropped the Alizard again. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what that that was. I feel like that game was was a real great fantasy for a game that's ultimately about shoving various people in armor over a grid i one note about the aesthetics that i just noticed because i'm playing this the backgrounds for the battle sequences uh when you zoom in on a battle uh depends on the location you are within the map so like if you are inside a castle you get a castle background if you outside in the forest uh or on a road you get a like an outdoor background and if you are shooting uh with archers from with elves from inside to outside uh you get both of them transitioning in uh in the middle with a black bar but still it it's fascinating that this game has that kind of attention to detail oh yeah you get both of them either way like if you're in two different kinds of terrain it blends the two terrain together like if you're just next to somebody yeah i'm just i i find that actually remarkable given that i'm used to the fire emblem oh you just have a character sprite in the middle of the screen kind of aesthetic yeah it they oh and all your little guys they like actually animate too like it's really cool like they'll run over and they'll have a little fight where they impact they don't just swing a sword and then damage is dealt but you actually see them hit and i thought that was really cool looking yeah it's like watching your own little totally accurate battle simulator you have these little uh chibi cartoon figurines running into each other until half of them fall down which is how all real battles are fought anyway. And I, I also just like the detail that the really powerful guys will usually just like swing their sword and there's a big shockwave that rushes forward and knocks down a whole got- lot of guys, which felt like really fun and anime to me. And then it ties back into the previous point of being similar to Dynasty Warriors. Like you got all these nameless units, then you got the one uh, guy with a name who's also a badass who just kills everything in one swing. Yeah. And and the battles do a really good job of conveying that because like your dude can kill like five guys in one go. Oh, this is also something that uh, I think also fit into the uh, uh, the blast zone that I think we didn't cover. But uh, the different kinds of units take different amounts of times to do their attacks. So like your wizard takes some time to cast a spell before uh, he gets uh, uh, before he does any damage. Which has actual tactical repercussions. It's not just an aesthetic thing, but like uh, you can kill a unit before they reach you. Uh, you can take a lot of damage uh, to your wizard before his spell goes off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, this this game really goes all out in detail that it didn't have to. Didn't have to, but I'm really glad it does. It does feel like a forward-thinking series. And it and its spinoff are still kind of around. Well, I think we saw what there was to see in the fantasy zone. And so... I've, oh, I, I've experienced some fantasy here. <laughs> some fantasy, yes. And now, we have to uncover the secrets that this game has hidden in the labyrinth zone. 
the place we uh, talk about the history of the game, ephemera about the game, how, the companies that made the game, and uh, just basically anything kind of tangential to the game that's not in the game itself. Uh, what cool stuff did we all dig up about this game, and I have a feeling I know half of what people are immediately going to jump into. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Master of Breasts. Porno. Yeah, uh, bef- uh, he started with one of the most hardcore pieces of pornography ever. He did some additional mecha design on Transformers the movie. Uh, and then he settled down a bit and stood a cream lemon OVA. I need to look up his name again. Satoshi Urushihara. Yeah, Urushihara, uh, a famous uh, pornographer of Japan. Would that we couldn't all have such a title. Sounds like an great artist, too. There's a great picture of him on Wikipedia where, looking at it, you think, yes, this guy does mostly draw pornography. (laughs) You know what? I'm glad. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm a pervert. I'm gonna wear that on my sleeve. And also on my Wikipedia photo. Also, some of you out there may be wondering, hey, did he ever draw any Lancaster characters naked? Yes. He's got an entire side career selling his uh, nudie laundresser fan art books. In fact, I think he sells fan art books of a whole bunch of franchises with uh, all of the female characters in various states of undress. Yeah, he did one for uh, Street Fighter. Um, but that one's fairly tame. It's just Chun-Li with some slightly ripped up pantyhose. Also, if I remember right, he drew a really, really sick picture of Guile that I gotta look up at some point. He did a series, he did an art book called Nostalgic Heroines. Yeah, he uh, gave Guile like a huge fucking caveman eyebrow. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, he did the art for Cybernator? Salt Seeds Falcon? That's crazy. He certainly did. Oh, uh, segue. Uh, there is a secret piece of armor in this game you could get, and it is literally called the Assault Suit, and it is a reference to Assault Suit's Falcon. That's great. Yeah, you can you can get a real Votoms in this game. A Votoms is a kind of giant robot for people who are less as versed in, 19, in obscure 1980s anime giant robots. It is a vertical operation takeoff mobile suit or something? I don't remember what the acronym is, I just made that up. Photoms is really good and has nothing to do with this, but you should watch it. Oh, vertical one-man tank for offensive and maneuvers. But yeah, Photoms is excellent. Uh, It has nothing to do with anything here. Uh, It is the high point of giant robots. Bob, do you have any insight on the Master of Breasts? I don't, other than immediately recognizing that it was I just saw the art, and I'm like, that looks like Plastic Little. And I just probably just aged myself right there to everyone who's listening. I only know, plas- I only know Plastic Little from uh, anime magazine advertisements from the mid-90s, because I've been researching a lot of those advertisements. for. You weren't supposed to actually age me, damn it! <laughs> so, I knew that he did porn because... Like, a lot of my import gaming knowledge, it came from reading the back of Game Fan magazine when I was younger. 
because of course they would, you know, take the opportunity to be like, yeah, this guy did some porn. Yeah, that was a real thing for gaming magazines in like the 90s and early 2000s where they were all like, can you believe there's this crazy Japanese adult content related to this game? Look, that does feel very of the era. Yeah, I'm glad we've uh, evolved into our current state of gaming journalism where people will just say, yeah, I cranked one out to that. Big whoop. Want to fight about it? I can't believe they took away my ability to crank one out to that. Uh, better go harass a woman on Twitter until she loses her job. Oh no, we got too real on the podcast. Fuck. Ah, uh, it happens. People come to us for our uh, anti-Gamergate commentary five years after that's been relevant. So uh, there were other people involved in the development of this game. And what are are people familiar with uh, Messiah Games and CareerSoft? Like, uh, what are what are they notable for outside of Langrisser? Uh, as far as CareerSoft, I have no idea. Uh, I think Langrisser is their big hit. But Messiah, you know, they did. Uh, I already talked about Assault Suits Falcon and also Choanaki, and I think Choanaki is probably their biggest hit, honestly. Although they did do that one game on the Genesis as well. Um, it was a shooter. Uh, Gynog. It was a shmup STG um, that uh, had the same artist as uh, Choanaki. That, that's also worth checking out. You have, to, you have to use its Christian name or people won't know what you're talking about. What was Gynog christened at? Oh, Wings of War. Oh, okay. I forgot the, uh, the Baka Gaijin name. So I had to call it by, you know, the, the one I know it as. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Messiah at all. Uh, looking at CareerSoft, it seems like they switched from doing fantasy porn guys, uh, the tactics RPG, to doing uh, Devil Survivor for the Shin Megami Tensei franchise, which is the Shin Megami Tensei tactics RPG. Yeah, they... They published Battletoads in Japan. That is their most significant work of all time. Messiah did? Yeah, that's that's what the internet is telling me. Well, that, that's like holding Battletoads against Arc, uh, Arc System Works because they made the Genesis port. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, CareerSoft, uh, yeah, like, like you said, they're just doing Devil Survivor now. Like, everything CareerSoft has done, for, for the most part seems to be tactics games, including the uh, Langrisser games originally, which they did up through five. And then they got bought out by Atlas and made the Growlanzer series, which is sort of a spiritual successor to that, complete with uh, the same character designer. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what I know about the company. I should probably look up uh, like specific staff on Langrisser, because that's probably pretty interesting i guess i don't know uh, if they didn't do porn i don't care oh i bet they did <laughs> i bet they did a lot of pcfx games i bet like 80 percent of the pcfx library was made by some of the staff of uh Laundresser. okay well Later. the problem the problem with that is that no one made a lot of pcfx games that's why it, it died literally that's true CareerSoft's only PCFX games is PCFX games is Der Langrisser. 
the remake of this. <laughs> they decided that apparently that was not a not a smart horse to back. It seems like they. Uh, it seems like Michio Shibuya, the executive producer on uh, Landerser Two, uh, has only really made anime tie-in video games like Devil Hunter Yoko and Ranma One Half Bid Battle. Ranma One Half Bid Battle, of course, having one of the most infamous pieces of fake American cover art. That is, that's Messiah, right? That is the producer of Landerser Two. Okay, yeah. Oh god, Devil Hunter Yoko. Oh, yeah. I hope we never do an episode on that game cuz it sucks ass. <laughs> it depends on what what the wheels of fate deal us. Okay, but how many people who worked on Langris or also worked on Trampoline Terror? I posted the Ranma one half big battle American cover art just so you know. That's incredible and terrible and awful. Doesn't it doesn't it make you feel happy? Like, uh, what if we lived in a world where we had an American Saturday morning cartoon remake of Ranma? Someday I will actually sit down and watch Ranma. I feel like I, I need to. Like, it's part of the transgender zeitgeist that I missed out on. Kind of like Toho in a way. Uh, yeah, it's it's very funny. I mean, if you like Rumiko Takahashi stuff, it's definitely worth checking out. If it's not looking like there's anything too exciting, it just seems like a bunch of competent Japanese developers worked and made a bunch of competent Japanese video games. I do wonder why this came out on the Genesis, though. Like, what is was it about the Genesis that got all of these strategy RPGs? Like, there seemed to be a ton of them on the Genesis. And and the and this one didn't come to the U.S., but a lot of them did. I can only really think of this and Shining Force, but uh, I don't know. Who knows what I know? Nothing. It's because the Mega Drive in Japan is the console for nerds. I thought that was the PCFX. No, the PCFX is just a is a really shitty computer for nerds. the The, the Mega okay. Drive the, the Mega Drive is kind of like that niche the 360 stood had in the, in in Japan. Where it's like, except for the part where Sega threw a bunch of money at people and like Microsoft like was like went to a bunch of shooting comp- shooting the de- shooting developers and like you guys should port games to our system because Sony doesn't give a shit about you. I mean, Microsoft did throw a bunch of money during the fir- at Japan during the first generation of Xbox. Yes, and then and then we never got Nude or True Fantasy Live online, which is still de- a deep scar on my on my psyche to this day. And then Microsoft was like, yeah, hey, we're not going to let Gun Valkyrie be backwards compatible on the Xbox 360, a.k.a. the one Xbox console you actually own. Haha, <laughs> get owned, bitch. That's nothing. Like, So Phantom Crash is backwards compatible on the 360, but only on American consoles, even though it's a Japanese-evolved game. Ah, and Phantom Crash has the best soundtrack in a mecha game. And also it runs like hot fucking trash. (laughs) I actually think there's a copy of Phantom Trash in this apartment right now. Phantom Trash is a really Freudian slip. That was... I'm sorry, Phantom Crash fans. I'm tired. My caffeine is failing. That's nothing. I have two copies. Mostly because I had to buy a replacement copy. And I haven't thrown the other one out. You know, I'm just going to call it. We have spent so much time in the labyrinth that we have found entire other labyrinths to explore. And so I'm going to pull us out of this zone.
and I think I'm going to go to our final category, the Death Egg Zone. Here in the Death Egg Zone, we're going to wrap up what we thought about this game. I'm going to ask each of you in order as before, what, like, just give me your final summarized thoughts about the game, and in order for us to be able to tell how good this game is, I'm going to ask you to give a standardized rating. And of course, as in every episode, the standardized rating is how many demon summoning swords out of six do you give Langrisser 2? Langrisser 2 is a good game, and it is not anywhere... It's So it's not actually hard, it just turns out that I'm bad, and I enjoyed throwing my commanders into the grinder, because the only one who matters is the main one. Main dude. Main red-haired dude with crown. He's important. Everyone else, they're disposable. This backfires towards the end of the game, where you actually need to be able to kill things. But otherwise, it's okay. I give it an MA-17 out of 6. <laughs> uh, this game kicked ass. Um, it's fun as hell, and... Uh, unlike a lot of tactical RPGs where I get kind of burned out after one or two maps, uh, this is actually a fairly addicting game, so I would spend hours, literal hours, playing playing it, and like, holy shit. I, know, I don't do that. I do not have the attention span for a lot of RPGs these days. So for something like that to uh, sink its claws into me, yeah, that's something. That's that's something. Anyway, my score, I give it six Alizards and like at least ten Voltron anime titties out of five. <laughs> um, this game, I want to say, uh, is one I will continue to play, but I'm honestly probably too lazy and have too many games to play, so I probably won't revisit this for a very long time. However, in my brief experiences of this, I will give this uh, five cream lemon episodes out of six. <laughs> As for me, I too had a brief experience. I want to revisit this, but it's kind of difficult for me to revisit it. When it comes to tactical RPGs, I prefer to play them on portable. If this ever gets a Switch port, if the Switch port ever comes out in a language I can speak, I'm definitely getting it. I was just really impressed by pretty much everything about this game. I thought it was just very well constructed and very well considered in a lot of very interesting ways. I am a sucker for area control, and this game has a ton of area control. Just heaps of area control. It is Area control is practically the name of the game. And I, I really like games that, that do that. I wish more tactical games really leaned into area control, or rather than just, you know, sort of slugfests. And because of that, I give this a, a coveted, perhaps under-researched, six demon summoning swords out of six. Oh, also, Tiger, if you want to play Languisher 2 on the go, there's always the free mobile game Languisher Mobile. Oh, I'll give that a give that a shot, especially if it's in English. It is in English. Also, be careful, because uh, it, it I, I haven't played it as much as I have in the past, because it drains my phone battery pretty quick. 
So maybe like turn off the music or something when you do. But you shouldn't turn off the music because it has like great remixes of uh, the music from this game, which has great music. Or you could take your totally legitimate copy that you own with the totally legitimate translation and you could rip it and put it on your phone and play it with, I don't know, some kind of program that emulates the console? Do they have those? Uh, yes, there is, uh, there is definitely this sort of, uh, totally legitimate technology available on phones in completely legitimate ways. Well, Just know, like you can find completely legitimate, uh, pictures of all of the Landrisser characters naked at, uh, completely leg- legitimate booth at Comicets every year. <laughs> I am I'm legit surprised this did, doesn't have an OVA spin-off. Like this feel like when I was looking at it I was like this surely has an OVA spin-off, doesn't it? And nope. The closest you can do is watching uh, Legend of Lemnir, uh which is of course uh by the master of rests Urushihara. Or you could watch the Fire Emblem OVA from the 90s, which I am I can only be assured of from my vast experience in video game cartoons is of the utmost quality. Uh, right. You could do that. Legend of Lemnir basically is like if Landrisser was a cartoon. I can't remember if it's pornographic. I don't... Oh, yep. Uh, objectionable content intense, so it is probably porn- pornographic. Ooh, so, ooh. yeah, don't do that. Ooh, before if I forget... If, if the dub actors aren't using pseudonames, it's not porn. I forgot to... I forgot to ask. So, um... Uh, the star of, uh, Legend of Lamnir is called Jezebel Montero, which sounds like a pseudonym. That's like oh, a, that's I've like a indie wrestler name, if there ever was one. So, everyone, yes, I, I think, I think we all, I think we've found what we're finding with this game. We all gave our death eggs. So, if somebody wants to hear more from you, where can they find you? social media and stuff like that. No, I'm a hermit. Get away from me. Get off my lawn. Uh, you, you can find me, your friendly neighborhood pervert, Romana, on my website at LonelyFrontier.net. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at LonelyFrontier. Find me on the SelectButton.net forums, of which this podcast is a spin-off uh, under the username LonelyFrontier. I gotta keep that shit on brand. And you can find me uh, on the Select Button forums. You can find me uh, on Twitter as Memorius Tolpa. You can find me on the Super Nintendo podcast and the No Rangers Allowed podcast, which are all tangentially linked to uh, Select Button. And you can theoretically find me uh, running an anime club on the Select Button forums kind of funny. Anyway, if you don't want to watch a bunch of uh, creepy 90s anime, then uh, you're probably going to fit it just fine. I'm Automatic Tiger, and you can find me as Automatic Tiger on Twitter and Automatic Tiger on the Select Button forums. The uh, Select Button, you can find more about the Book of Mega Drive at Book of Mega Drive at our Twitter account, which is just Book of Mega Drive. If you want to email us, you can email us at bookofmegadrive at gmail.com. I'm sure we'll get tons of emails any day. 
the Book of Mega Drive is a selectbutton.net guide-in podcast. Select Button is a great video game forum where you can talk about all kinds of video games with all of your siding internet friends that you'll make there. Uh, if you want, fi- you can find all of us on there. And um, if you want to hear me specifically and a lot of these other people too, you can find us on Super Nintendo Exploration Squad podcast, which uh, featured, has featured me, Ramona, and Tulpa in the past. Not you yet, Bob. No, I have to be on brand. Sega forever. And of course, which you probably already have heard that podcast because we're still sharing that same feed. So, for our next vote, because you vote for these, which I probably should have mentioned at the beginning, uh, our three choices are... Okay, while he's cut out, I just want to say that democracy doesn't work, and that even though I enjoyed playing Land Grister 2, Undead Line lost by one vote because three people voted for fucking, like, the Green Party or some shit. <laughs> I voted for Undead Line as well. I really wanted to play that. Okay. Too bad I can't play it on my own. The game is, you can play it. It's extremely hard, so I'm kind of glad we went with this instead. Because at least this one I can beat the first level. To further pontificate, when I think Mega Drive, I think asshole genres like shooting and action and shit moving around and not playing games with menus. And that even though I still like this game, you have to stay on brand. I like to stay on the men- on the main menu of any Sega Mega Drive game and never actually uh, go beyond that because I'm scared of reflexes and challenge. It's okay, you can boot up Fantasy Star 4 and then, like, the people, your characters in that game in the overworld are, like, on fucking crack and they just run around everywhere at normal speed. Okay, I can play Fantasy Star 4 then. That's the one for me. Also, if you thought Langrisser was anime, like... Fantasy Star 4 is super anime. Like, the next step past Chrono Trigger on the JRPG scale of anime. It is the future, and crack is no longer whack. Hey friends, do you want to make yourselves sad? You should get that, you should get the Sega Smash Pack on the Dreamcast, and you should listen to how the music sounds on it. I used to have that, and it sucked. It had Virtual Cop 2, therefore it is okay. Except for the part where you couldn't buy a licensed light gun in America. That was bad. But also it had Sega Squirrel, which is a game that you can play by email on a console. Which 100% makes it exactly like a war game. Oh, oh fuck. We got another... Wow. Okay, I know which one of these is winning. (laughs) Prepare to be disappointed. Our next three games we're going to vote on are... um, Monster World 4. Hell yeah. Vapor Trail Kuga, Operation Vapor Hell Trail, yeah. and Sword of Sodan. Oh fuck! Oh, okay, everyone, we have to vote for Sword of Sodan. We have to, we have to experience Jank in its true form. If any of you motherfuckers vote for that game, I'm blocking you. Oh fuck! <laughs> I don't want to be blocked. You, you better get ready to block me. I'm, I'm, I'm voting 100% Jank. Oh, oh god, I'm just gonna be like the angry video game nerd for two hours talking about how it's a shitload of goat fuck or whatever. Oh, the angry... You, you, you say it like you're gonna get past the first level of that game. No one's gonna get past I, the first level of that no, game. No, I can't get past the first level of the game because <laughs> it fucking... 
I'd rather have a buffalo take a diarrhea dump in my ear than play that shit ever again. I feel like it's going to win just because we're already having another podcast episode about it before we've even started. <laughs> I know nothing about that game. Vote for Monster World 4 if you want me to be happy and tell jokes instead of just say, <laughs> this is fuck over and over again. Don't listen to this person. They just want to play a good game. This isn't about playing good games. This is about talking about games. I've already played 90% of Monster World 4, so I don't know if I want to play something new or if I want to talk about Monster World 4, because i got a lot of thoughts about Monster World 4. Everyone vote for Vapor Trail, then I'll just make a bunch of jokes about Vapor Wave. And vaping. The subtitle, I believe, is Hyper Offense Formation, so uh, I feel like two out of the three games we can vote for will have a Hyper Offense Formation. Actually, isn't Vapor Trail a Telenet game? Doesn't that make it, doesn't that make it automatically the most Mega Drive choice? Yeah. I, I will have to double-check that. It's by Data East! That's even better! Yeah, like if it, it, Data East, Data East is like the Data East is the shit. It is. Anyway, I I think that's that's it for our podcast today, and we don't have a great ending call sign. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. Good night. Vote Sodan. Vote Sodan. Wherever you may be listening to this. I'm still playing. I've been playing. Uh, I've been playing Land Racer Two this entire time. This is making me kind of want to play a Grow Lancer game. I will eventually pick one of those up and see what what's the deal. They had to have one of those on like a PSP or a Vita, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a PSP remake of the first Grow Lancer on. Yeah, Wayfarer of Time. Still the same artist. Can definitely see that he drew nipples onto the cover art of this game. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad there's at least someone out there who's keeping my vagina bones intact. Growlancer Four over reloaded. Over reloaded. Over reloaded. Those are two words. Over reloaded. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying, but I am hearing what I expect to hear. <laughs>